This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Oh, that is so good. I loved that. I loved that. Hey, happy Mother's Day, moms. It is so good to have you here. Welcome to everybody. So glad to be sharing this morning with you. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. I'll be guiding us today. And I do want to say, moms, so thankful. So thankful that you chose to join us to celebrate today. Uh, When we talk about God, God has a number of characteristics. God protects, God provides, God comforts, God cares, God leads, God nurtures. And moms, you are a picture of God in the way that you do that for so many of us. And so I want to thank you, even though you're hashtag not my mother, uh, I want to thank you on behalf of your kids, whether they got you a present or not. Uh, I want to thank you for that. And uh, and moms, yeah. And a dad is clapping because he's like, I didn't get her a present. <laughs> Hashtag. No, I'm just kidding. I know you did because you're a good you're a good husband and, and you know what's up. Um, I just want to say welcome to you. Moms, if today brings up some regret, pain, emotion, I know there's there's that side too. And so I actually have been praying and will be praying for you today. We're told that God is a God who redeems, uh, who heals brokenness, who is a God of of redemption and care. I'll be praying for you as well, that God would be doing a redeeming and a healing work for you. Um, But I just want to say today's going to be a fun day. It's a celebration day. Uh, I don't know about you, but when uh, when I do Mother's Day with my kids, our kids are eight and six, and uh, and they're right on the cusp of having to buy their own presents, but not there yet. So so when I do Mother's Day planning, we get a few uh, a few gifts that my wife wants, and then I always I always want to find something that she never knew she always wanted. You know, that's always one of my goals. So, so my kids are big into, um, into, uh, what are they? The, the fidget spinners. Have you seen these fidget spinners? Um, they spin. That's what they do. This is the sum and total of a fidget spinner. If you're wondering, well, what else do they do? Nothing. They literally do nothing else. Um, and so we got them for this this week. Don't worry, educators. They cannot go to school. They cannot go to school. I promised my teachers that they would not go to school, but, I said, kids, Maria doesn't like these. I said, kids, don't you think it'd be fun to buy mom a fidget spinner? And they thought that was a great idea. So, uh, so we bought her a fidget spinner and I said, uh, they said, dad, we should buy you one too. So everyone has one. And I said, I don't think I really need one because I'm pretty sure in about a week, uh, this will be my fidget spinner. So uh, here's a neat trick that only guys with perfect haircuts can do with a fidget spinner. So all you guys with thick hair, jokes on you, okay? Jokes on you because that uh is brilliant. Just brilliant. Hey, uh when you came in you should have received a program. Go ahead and and grab that if you would. It's just this is a tool for you. Uh this is a way that you get all access to our pastoral team that we can support you and care for you and partner with you. So I just would invite you, grab this tool and take advantage of it. We want to be here as a support to you. So if you fill out this card that says start here, this is our connection card. It's the way that you can have access to us so we can pray and partner with you. Later, some baskets will be passed. You can drop that in the basket when it's passed. You'll probably also want the teaching notes. They tell you the Bible stories we're looking at today. Uh, They've got some fill in the blanks. They've got some thoughts about next steps. So you're going to want to grab that as well. Hey, I wonder as you're getting that ready, if you've ever had this experience Maybe it was with a grandparent or a parent or an educator or your pastor or your priest uh, where you said something and the minute you said it, you wished you hadn't said it. 
You ever had one of those moments? Maybe it was a certain word, uh, about four letters long, and it slipped out in front of a grandparent or a, a pastor. Um, I had one of these experiences not that long ago. Now, I am, I am a pastor, and I am my pastor in a lot of ways, but I also have other people who are my pastor. Our founding pastor, Ron, is my pastor, right? He's the pastor's pastor, and I love that Ron mentors me and leads me and, and partners with me. Well, Ron and I were driving back from a pastor's uh, event, a morning together with other pastors in Sacramento, and usually Ron drives, but I said, well, I'll drive this time. So we were driving back from Sacramento talking about deeply spiritual things like lunch, and, um, and I went to change lanes because the car in front of me was only going the speed limit, and so I went to change lanes, and I looked and didn't see anything, uh, and as I went to change lanes, apparently in my blind spot was an 18-wheeler. And so I changed lanes about six feet in front of an 18-wheeler, and he laid on his air horn, and I let out a word that should have had an air horn covering it, right in front of Pastor Ron. And I'm pretty sure that word has never crossed the threshold of Pastor Ron's mouth. And I, 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 I say this word, it, it slips out, it slides out as I am scared, and, and then I, we get, it gets quiet in the car. Because you're not there to laugh at the hilarity of this moment. And I looked at Ron, and I said, well, if the mouth is truly the overflow of the heart, apparently my heart still has some more work. I'm sorry. Can we pretend I never said that? And he smirked and said, that's probably a good choice, you know? Um, But I want to talk today about blind spots, about blind spots, because I appreciate that. It was a good segue. That really was. Thank you. Um, because blind spots, by definition, are things that we cannot see, right? Now, blind spots have different levels of destructive realities to them. Sometimes we change lanes into a blind spot, and it only results in a word that you should not say, that you mumble under your breath. But sometimes we turn into a blind spot, and there's a fender bender that happens. Sometimes we turn into a blind spot and a car gets totaled. Sometimes we turn into a blind spot and it causes serious bodily harm. But the one thing that all blind spots have in common is we did not see it coming because it was a blind spot. Blind spot. Now we're on this journey together as a church in a series called The Contrarian's Guide to Knowing God. And in this series, we are exploring what spiritual maturity, spiritual growth, or if you were raised uh, maybe going to church, what discipleship looks like, this process of following God, of knowing God, of partnering with God. And we're trying to get beyond the pat uh, two-part equation to spiritual growth that happens in most churches. And the two-part equation in most churches is this, know more and do more, and you will grow spiritually. No more do more, grow. But the problem is we found in our personal experience on our leadership team, in our experience of leading this church for 19 years now, by the way, we're about to celebrate 20 years as a church in February. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. But we have found that you can actually know a lot and do a lot and not experience this key word that Jesus promises, which is transformation in your life. 
that we can know a lot and do a lot and still find ourselves white-knuckling our way through life, barely hanging on, trying to do the right thing even though we don't want to do the right thing, trying to be the right kind of person even though we feel inside like we're not the right kind of person. And so we, we have this tug-of-war inside of us when we try no more, do more. And so we've been exploring a contrarian or a counter approach to spiritual growth, one that is more robust, one that takes into account what it looks like for an individual to partner with God in life. And I didn't want to just fly through this in three weeks and give us kind of a brief outline and then move on to the next thing, because honestly, this idea permeates every other topic in our lives. We talk about marriage or vocation or kids or generosity uh, or an area of addiction in our life that we want to break free from. If we can figure out how to grow with God, it will impact all of these other things. But it is the foundation of everything else that we do. Learning how to grow with God. And today what I want to do is talk about spiritual blind spots. Because just like in cars we have blind spots, in life we also have blind spots. And God seems, and this is really interesting, God seems to take into account that as followers of Jesus, we will have blind spots in our lives. Areas of different levels of destructive outcomes that we just do not see. And because we don't see them, we keep engaging with them. And what I want to do is take us back to an Old Testament king who is arguably one of the more famous kings in the Old Testament of the Bible. And I want to look at, if you were raised in the church, you're, you're going to know the ending part of his story. But I actually want to look at the first four verses leading up to this moment where God comes to this king and God almost acts like a genie in a bottle, like in the movie Aladdin. He comes to this king one night and he says, I'm going to grant you one wish, not three, that's too many, one wish. One wish. And he grants this king a wish. But the interesting thing is everything that happens before, immediately before, God grants the king his wish. Because before that, we actually see a blind spot. And I want to, I want to talk about a tension this morning. That we could actually be fully engaging with God and at the same time have blind spots that are causing destruction in our lives. And what do we do with this tension? Because in the traditional model of growing with God, it's no more and do more, and there is no space for blind spots. So let's just look at this story. The king's name is Solomon, and God's about to genie in a bottle Solomon. And here's where we're going to pick up the story. It's in 1 Kings chapter 3. If you've got um, a tablet or your phone or a Bible, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, or it's up on the screen and it's in your notes. Now Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, something God had said not to do. And he married Pharaoh's daughter, something God had said not to do. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, so these are Solomon's people who he's ruling over. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places. Make a note of that. We're going to come back to the high places in just a second. They were sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Let that slide. It's allergies. It's allergies. Verse 3. 
Verse 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given to him by his father, David. Except, and I want you to underline or circle, except. He showed his love for God by walking according to the instructions given to him by his father, David. Except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord. Now these high places were literally mountaintops. In the ancient world, uh, different tribes, different regions would have high mountain or hilltops, and on those hilltops, they would build these altars to worship their gods, which were not the god of the Bible. They were lowercase g gods. We would call them idols, and they would worship um, sun god, fire god, god of money, all these different gods up on these high places. And we find out in the book of Numbers, you don't have to look it up, but in Numbers 33, that actually God said to the kings and to the people, drive out the people from the land and demolish all of their high places. Demolish them, destroy them, because they are not acceptable to God. It's false worship to false gods who will not actually meet you in that place. And you're wasting your time, and they're wasting their time, and these false gods are leading them down paths they do not want to go to. Not only did the Jewish people ignore God, but they co-opted these high places on these hills and started worshiping their God in these spots where these idols had previously been worshiped. And God said, don't do it. Tear it down. Solomon's dad was King David. David said to Solomon, have the people tear down the high places. Not only did Solomon not tear down the high places, Solomon went and worshiped at the most important high place there was in Gibeon, and he had a thousand burnt offerings to the Lord right there. Now, this is all the backstory to God coming that night and granting him a wish. So we just read verses 1 through 4. Notice what happens in verse 5. After Solomon had done these things that God said not to do. It says, That night at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, And God asked, ask whatever you want of me, and it will be given to you. Ask whatever you want of me, and it will be given to you. Now, this happens at the same time that Solomon had made an alliance with Egypt. Now, Egypt had been the slave masters of the Jews for some 400 years. God said, never make make an alliance with them. After Solomon had made the alliance, and he sealed the alliance by marrowing by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. And he allowed the people to keep the high places. And not only that, he went to the most famous one and he sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings at that high place. How could God come to him right there and say, you know what? You, right now, right now, I want you to ask me for anything you want and I'm going to give it to you. There's only one answer. Apparently, these high places were a cultural and a spiritual blind spot for King Solomon. 
He knew it. I mean, in theory, he knew it, but it was a blind spot for him. Not only for him, this was a blind spot for a number of the kings in the Old Testament. See, in the, the book of First Kings, we have the story of king after king after king, and they all end with a synopsis, which basically says this is the sum and total of this king's life. It's usually one or two verses, one or two sentences that say this is what the king did, this was good, this was bad. Over and over and over again, this is the phrase we see at least six times with six of these kings. It says they did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but they did not tear down the high places. They did what was right, but they did not tear down the high places. My favorite is in 1 Kings 15, where it talks about a king named Asa. And it says this in 1 Kings 15, 14. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was, notice the language there, fully committed. Fully committed. And I, I looked it up just to make sure it means what it says in the original language. And wouldn't you know, it means fully committed. Totally committed. He did not remove the high places, which he was commanded to do, but his heart was fully committed to the Lord. How long? All of his life. All right, guys. This is when we read the Bible, and we have to say, how can this be? How can this be? Because I honestly wonder, if this was us, if this was us, and it was the time of Facebook and Twitter— And our king, our Solomon, was not only—we knew the law, we knew what God said, and Solomon was not only not tearing down the high places, but he was actually worshiping at the high places. How many of us would, would like, turn to Facebook and Twitter and say, you know, hashtag not my king, right? (laughs) Hashtag no more high places, no more high places. And we start a campaign and we get it going. We would be like, no, he is the wrong king. And yet, now I'm not, listen, that was just a a joke because it's funny, not a political commentary. Please don't write to me. Please don't write to me. You know who likes to hear your complaints? Our worship pastor, Justin. Email him. He loves to hear them. So, uh, Justin at newlifepetaluma.org. Just write write it down. He loves to hear that kind of stuff from, from you. Happy Mother's Day, Justin. How can it be that these kings could have God say about them, they were fully committed to me, while at the same time they were actively doing things that God had said not to do? The answer is, they were blind spots. So the question becomes for us, well, why is it that, that human beings have blind spots? Because it wasn't just something they had, it's actually something we have. I, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but, but if, you, if you enter into a relationship with God, God does a whole bunch of work right there in the spiritual realm and, and in the physical realm. But you wake up the next day, and wouldn't you know, you still have certain things that are not quite lined up with God. Have you experienced this? And yet we would say, but I love God. And I'm not fully lined up with God. Well, that's because we, like the kings in the Old Testament, have blind spots. Here's the way it works. And we've been talking about this in this series. And, and I don't want us to miss it. We're told that the average learner, it takes us, uh, I think, seven or eight times to hear something before it starts to set in. And then we have to hear it a few more times before it actually, we internalize it. And so 
Uh, if you've been coming every week, you're hearing this most weeks. That's because I want us to be able to take this concept and really understand it. And it's this. When we become followers of Jesus, God puts into us a new nature. God's nature. And, and, and when you think nature, think pull or orientation or guidance. That before we had a relationship with God, we were born with what's called a sin nature. And that sin nature oftentimes pulls us away from the things of God that would be good for us and good for others. So God says this, but something in us is pulling us this way. And we think, what is that? Well, that's our old nature pulling us this direction. And then when we become followers of Jesus, we're told that God gives us a new nature, which is like the nature of God. And God gives us his spirit to live in us. And his spirit works with our new nature to help us want to do the things that God invites us to do. But when we become Christians, when we become followers of Jesus, this new nature is in infant form. It's just now starting out. That's why Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, can say things like, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has started, is what he says. A new nature has been put in us, and it's small, and it has this little baby voice that pulls us towards God. But there's still another part of us that pulls away from God. And spiritual maturity is the process of engaging with God's spirit as God develops our new nature so that we want the things that God wants for us. Let me be very clear. Not the things that God wants from us. Oftentimes, if we were raised in the church, we assume God just wants a lot from us. And, and, and it's good on the way in, but then once you get in, there's a lot that you have to do. No. The new nature helps us understand what God wants for us. Sometimes what God wants for us moves things out of us to others, but it's always for us. There are two reasons why we all have blind spots, and these are in your notes. The first is because God is continually developing our new nature as we engage with him. It is not fully developed the minute we begin a relationship with God. And the second reason we all have blind spots is because God is a gentleman, and he does not show us everything that needs transforming all at once. Could you imagine if the, the day you said yes to Jesus, you went home that night, you fell asleep, and you woke up, and God just gave you a highlight reel. Here's all your junk. Here's everything that is not in alignment with me. Let's get to work. How many of us would wake up the next morning and say, I don't know what that decision was when I gave my life to God, but I think it was just bad Chinese food. I'm not doing it. Listen, if God gave us everything at once, we would not continue the journey. God is a gentleman. He reveals to us the things we need when we need them. I was raised going to church from time to time and, and enjoyed it. I had different church experiences. My parents raised us to know God. But when I was 17, that's when, for me, I really said, I want to own this journey with God. It's no longer my parents' journey. This is actually a relationship that I want to form with God. And when I did that, almost immediately, about that next week, God highlighted my first blind spot. Now, I had a ton of stuff, but my big blind spot could be summed up in the words of 90s rapper Big Pun. When he says, I don't want to be a player no mo." I don't want my tech guy, he, he and I, he knows what's up. He's dancing in the back right now. I don't want, we're not going to play that after service, Gus. Just be clear, unless you have the radio edit. 
He said, I don't want to be a player no more. God highlighted for me at 17, the way I was engaging with the opposite sex was hurting me, hurting me, was hurting them, was causing me to look at half of the world's population as objects to be conquered instead of sisters to be loved. That was my biggest blind spot in that moment. Did I still have other blind spots? Yes. It wasn't until years later in a conversation with Pastor Ron where I realized I'm terrified that God will provide for me and therefore I am not living open-handed with my finances. I'm not giving generously back to the things of God because I'm terrified if I give it away, God won't take care of me. So generosity was a blind spot that God didn't even touch on here that would happen way over there when I was about 23. I had other blind spots. I had blind spots about the poor. My world was not about those who were not seen at that point. My world, I was 17. I had crazy blind spots. I had blind spots about community and the role of the input of other people in my lives. I was like a Lone Ranger Christian. I, I would go to these Christian conferences and I'd stand outside after worship smoking a cigarette like James Dean being like, that's right, I dare you to judge me. Bring it on. I had no context for community. Are you kidding me? They're going to tell me not to do the things that I want to do. I had blind spots. We all have blind spots. And the great thing about God is God looks at our individual lives. And God says, here's a blind spot that I want to give you clarity on in this season. But I'm not going to force you to look at everything right now because God is a gentleman. What I want to do for the rest of our time together is I want to look at two ideas. One, how do we engage with other people's blind spots? And two, how do we engage with our own blind spots? Because isn't it interesting that if you're driving a car and you're behind someone and they've got a car in their blind spot, you can see the car in their blind spot, can't you? You can see the car in their blind spot. To you, it's not a blind spot. So when they change lanes into that car, we think, what are you doing? That's going to hurt you. Don't do it. Are you an idiot? This is what we think. Because it's not our blind spot. And spiritually speaking, I have blind spots that are different than your blind spots. And here's the scary thing. I'm on stage for all of you to see my blind spots. And you, I guarantee you see blind spots in me and you think, what are you thinking? Because it's not your blind spot. You can see it clearly. But here's the thing. You have blind spots that, that you can't see right now. So I want to talk about how do we engage with each other in our blind spots? And then what do I do when God or God uses others to shine a light on one of my blind spots? So here's the antidote that keeps us from judgment when it comes to blind spots and others. The antidote is curiosity and questions in the context of a pre-existing relationship. Curiosity and questions in the context of a pre-existing relationship. Because it's easy to see somebody else's blind spot. So easy. And so we just come in assuming that if I can see your blind spot, you probably see the same blind spot. And we assume that if you see that blind spot and you're not working on it, it's because you have this kind of high-handed disobedience to God that says, forget you, God. I know what you say. I'm not going to do it. Because I can see your blind spot, and if you can see it and you're not dealing with it, clearly you don't love God. So my job is to come in 
and tell you, stop being an idiot. But could it be, could it be that it's actually a blind spot for them? And so we come in with questions. Hey, have you noticed this thing in your life? Now, again, we have to be friends first. You don't go up to a stranger and say, hey, I noticed this blind spot. What? (laughs) Honestly, honestly. I mean, think about driving in your car. You turn into a blind spot. Someone honks their horn. Why are they honking their horn? Because you're turning into a blind spot, right? But you don't know that person. So what does it bring up in you? You feel dumb. You feel scared. And usually it comes out as you're angry. And you remind them that while you don't know them, you do believe that they are number one. So we have to have relationships. Otherwise, I'm just going to get defensive and angry and shut down. I remember uh, not that long ago, maybe two months ago in a message, I used the phrase, that sucks. So a friend of mine who's in his 50s, who's on my senior leadership team, he's on my covering team over me. He asked me that next week, hey, when, when you say the phrase, that sucks, what does that mean to you? I said, well, it means like that stinks or that's lame or that's dumb. He was like, okay, okay. He said, can I tell you what that phrase means to me? I'm in my mid-50s. Can I tell you what that phrase means to me and kind of to my generation? I said, sure. He said, well, that phrase has a a sexual connotation to it from, from my generation. And when you said that from stage, everything in me cringed. It's like, oh, I, uh, blind spot, 100% blind spot. I had no idea that that was the connotation. For me and the generations below me, it just means stinks or lame or dumb. For him and his generation, I mean, I can't speak for all of his generation, but it has a different meaning to it. You know, I haven't used that phrase since then because he just brought up a blind spot. Now, what if he would have assumed that I knew that that's what it meant and I didn't care? And he had come in shooting me an email or doing this. How could you say that word on stage? All of a sudden, now I'm, I'm feeling dumb. How could, how could I have said that word on stage? And I'm feeling defensive. Hey, you say things all the time. You just don't have to be on stage. How come you're getting, right? But he came in with questions. And he assumed it was a blind spot to look at. That is the antidote. We come in with questions and assuming the best in each other. Because a blind spot, by definition, is something that we are blind to. I've had friends bring these things up to me before. Uh, My exploration uh, into the refugee crisis was largely a blind spot for me until some friends asked me some questions. Hey, as you lead the church, I, they said this, I know leading the church is not an easy thing to do. Can I ask why we aren't talking about some of these, these issues that are going on globally? I, it, we do a great job talking personally and interpersonally. Is there a reason why we're not talking on these global issues? It's just a blind spot. So we start looking at it. And I don't know, for me, those pre-existing relationships that come in with questions, assuming that maybe it's a blind spot as opposed to high-handed sin, are super helpful in giving me the space to engage with God around it. 
Now, we will talk next week. What do I do when, when God says something and I just downright disagree with God? I don't like it. I don't want to do it. That's next week. We'll talk about how, how to work through that with God next week. I'm talking about blind spots today. Let me talk about the antidote for my own blind spot. When I have my own blind spot, the antidote is curiosity and engagement with God and with others. Curiosity. See, as, as, as humans, when we realize we've got a blind spot, we usually have two responses. One, we feel bad about ourselves. Like, how could I have not seen that? Or two, if you're like me and you're not, you don't like being a late adapter, you just write it off. Like, I stayed off Facebook for six months because I didn't want to be a late adapter to Facebook, right? Like, I didn't want to come onto Facebook. That's why I stopped with Xbox 360. I haven't moved beyond Xbox 360. I don't think I could do it. I don't like being a late adapter. I just don't. I just don't. If I could still have a razor, I would. You know what I'm talking The phone, not the scooter. You know what I'm talking about. But that's not actually helpful in engaging with God. See, when we have a blind spot, the, the thing is, and I think the, the chart's in there. I think the chart's up on the screens. The key comes back to this chart that we've been pressing into over and over again. When we realize there's a blind spot, if you're brand new with us, everything in the center from what God, God's thoughts are to me obeying with the right heart, everything in the middle is the process of engaging with God. Sometimes it means getting angry. That's the, the lightning bolt. Sometimes that leads to asking questions. And then in questions, we start to look for answers. The Bible gives us answers as we engage with God in his word. We start talking to community, other people. They help us explore what this looks like. We start experimenting. This is how we engage with God. When we realize there's a blind spot, we just get into this process with God. We just get into this process. And we allow the Holy Spirit to work with our new nature to develop something inside of us. And he transforms those. But it always starts with curiosity. Curiosity. And then questions and engagement with God. I want to talk about two things as we wrap up. Generally, our blind spots fall in one of two categories. Sins of commission and sins of omission. I know, okay, I can tell you're like, oh, that's deep. It is. And I'm glad you think that. Sins of commission are things that we do that are actively hurting us and hurting others. Sins of omissions are things that we aren't doing that could add value to us and to others. So that whole, like, I don't want to be a player no more, that was a sin of commission. I was acting in a way that was actively hurting other people. Things like, like not engaging with racial reconciliation, uh, not looking at, at, at what it would look like to engage with, with the poor among us, um, not looking at what it means to be a local Christian in a global context. These are sins of omission, things that we aren't looking at, but if we looked at them, they could add value to us and to others. Usually, generally speaking, when you become a Christian, God starts with the sins of commission because they're actively hurting you. And then over time, as he's highlighted those, we engage with him, and those tend to, we tend to line up with him more in thought and practice and heart. Then he goes into the things of omission, and he starts to press into us there. I, I, we'll talk about that more. That deserves some pressing into, but just in case you're like, if you're wondering, I don't have any sort of major active thing right now. One, it could be a blind spot, and you might. Or two, it could be that God has softened the commission acts, and he's ready to explore with you the omission parts. 
Could be. It's just something to think about. Hey, as we wrap up our time, this is a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process. That's how come the kings in the Old Testament could be fully devoted to God and missing God in the moment. For us, it's a lifelong process. Spiritual maturity is not not some magic marker we reach. It is a process of engaging with God regularly. And if you're here today and you came because your, your wife invited you or a friend invited you or maybe your daughter or son invited you, I want to invite you, if you've never started this process, begin the process today. Begin the process today by inviting God into your life to be your Savior and your leader and your guide on this journey. He'll work out the process as we go. And we just invite him to start the journey with us. Just invite him in. I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to give you a chance. Just invite him on the journey. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, we do have blind spots, every one of us. And I know that your antidote for blind spots is not shame or guilt or defensiveness, that your antidote for blind spots is to continue to teach us how to engage with you. And so would you show us more and more what this simple process looks like in the hugely complex process of our lives. And if I have friends here today who are ready, God, to start this journey with you, would you be stirring in them right now? And friend, if that's you, if you're ready to begin this journey with God, to become a follower of his, you can just acknowledge it. Just say to him, God, I want to walk with you. You can say to him something like this, Jesus, I believe that you love me, that you gave your life for me so that I could be forgiven of my sin, so that I could enter back into your family so that I could walk with you on this journey of life and walk with you in eternity. God, I want that. So would you come, would you fill me with your spirit, and would you show me how to take this journey with you? Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.